Welcome back, and thank you for listening to Xenozoic Xenophiles, a fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales, a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth, and this is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Mark Schultz, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We're doing this podcast because we truly enjoy reading and talking about the world of Xenozoic Tales created by Mark Schultz. In this episode, we're covering Xenozoic Tales, Issue 8, from January 1989. It features one story written and illustrated by Mark Schultz, and a second story written by Mark Schultz and illustrated by Steve Stiles. We've explained our title in the past, but we'll quickly mention it again for new listeners. Of course, Xenozoic is part of the title of the comic. Xeno is defined as something that is strange, different, or foreign, while Zoic refers to a geological time period. So, Xenozoic basically means strange age. And a xenophile is someone who is interested in foreign lands and foreign cultures. That word describes us perfectly, because we're interested in foreign lands and cultures, just like those found in Xenozoic Tales. Of course, many of you might be familiar with this series under the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which has occasionally been used for various reprint collections as well as for video games and an animated TV series. The original comic series created and written and primarily illustrated by Mark Schultz was published by Kitchen Sink Press under the title Xenozoic Tales for 14 issues from 1987 to 1996. And this is a very exciting time to be revisiting the series because Mark Schultz is currently working on a new Xenozoic Tales graphic novel. If you missed the previous episode, be sure to go back and listen as Mark Schultz himself shares lots of news and insights about the new book. And be sure to join the Facebook page, Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories, for all of the latest official news and information. If you don't have the series but want to pick it up, we highly recommend the collection titled Xenozoic. It contains all of the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz to date. It's a wonderful oversized book printed on high-quality paper and is available with two gorgeous covers that you can order directly from Flesk Publications. We'll include a link in our show notes. And while you are there, be sure to check out the many wonderful publications they have to offer. And if you would like some music to listen to while reading the series, then consider picking up Songs from the Xenozoic Age. It's an eclectic mix of fun songs by John Chris Christensen that are inspired by the series, and the CD features album art by Mark Schultz. We enjoy sharing listener feedback and being part of the fun exchanges with listeners on social media. Please feel free to write in any time and let us know what you think about the series. We'd love to know what you like best about the art and stories and how you first discovered Xenozoic Tales. Later in this episode, we'll share your feedback from the two previous episodes, and we'll provide our email address and other ways to contact us at the end of the episode. And if you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other podcasts that are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. Trekker Talk is a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of the sci-fi comic Trekker by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. And Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. Mark Schultz, Ron Randall, and Mike Grell are our three favorite comic creators. Their stories are always filled with adventure and interesting characters, and their art is excellent. We'll include links to those other podcasts in our show notes, but for now, let's check out this month's issue. Xenozoic Tales, number 8, January 1989. Publisher, Dennis Kitchen. Editor, Dave Schreiner. Letters, Denise Prowl. Production, Jan Manweiler. Circulation, Paula Zone. Cover colors, Ray Fehrenbach. 
It's the early 26th century. The world has undergone a great geological cataclysm, causing global catastrophes. Few people survived. Those that did found themselves living in isolated tribes in a very different world and a strange ecosystem. It's a new age known as the Xenozoic Era. The cover features an image of Jack Tenrick and Hannah Dundee standing in a swirling mist. They are staring down at a dead body as a large dinosaur watches them from the mist. The dead body looks contorted and the expressions on Jack's and Hannah's faces illustrate their shock. In the Dream Time, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. Our story opens in Jack's garage. He is still recovering from the injuries he received at the growing pool in the previous issue. Hannah Dundee reclines in a chair. Jack is quizzing her about automobile parts. He tells her he isn't going to teach her to drive unless she also learns how to make her own repairs, because he won't always be around if she gets stranded with a broken down car. Just then, Governor Dahlgren arrives and tells Jack he looks like he's recovered from his concussion. She then jealously looks at Hannah and says, She's sure it's all thanks to Ambassador Dundee's assistance. Dahlgren then tells Jack that Bolgar talked to the governing council about Jack's interference at the buried vault, and the other governors are not pleased. Jack erupts in a rage about the dangers of what Bolgar and the others are doing at the growing pool. Dahlgren tells him not to take it out on her. She puts herself at risk keeping him informed of the council's activities, and he should appreciate that. She's sure it will all blow over, but thinks that Jack should lay low for a while. Conveniently, Mustafa Cairo arrives at that very moment. He needs someone to deliver the latest instructions to the road crew he has working in the lake region because he is needed at the bridge to the project at Grissom Gulch. He wants Jack to make the trip to the lake region with the instructions and he'll join him there in a couple of days. It's a chance for Jack to get some fresh air and he invites Hannah along for her first driving lesson. As Jack and Hannah drive away, Governor Dahlgren thanks Mustafa for his help. It seems his conveniently timed arrival with a request to get Jack out of the way for a few days wasn't a coincidence at all. Meanwhile, we see an underwater scene. Fish are swimming along when something bubbles up from the lake bed. On the long drive, Hannah has some trouble with the clutch that makes Jack cringe, and she asks what turn signals are for, but Jack has no idea. She then asks about the road crew, and Jack explains that Mustafa has a crew building a shortcut to the copper mines. It will make the Calhoun run two days shorter when it's finished. But it makes Jack uneasy. Even though he benefits from the roads, he's concerned to see people becoming more like the ancients by trying to reshape the land. The two pass Lake Orinda and proceed to Lake Machtondo, where the crew is supposed to be working. There is a fine mist as they approach the lake, and the two are shocked at what they see when they arrive. The bodies of the road crew are scattered all around the work site near the lake. The two get out of the Cadillac and begin checking the bodies. They've all been dead for more than a day. There are no signs of struggles or attacks, however. At the lake, they find the dead carcasses of everything from small mammals to large dinosaurs, and even birds scattered on the ground. It's getting dark, and they know it isn't safe in this area, so they return to Lake Orenda to camp for the night. They'll continue their investigation in the morning. While building a fire for the night, Jack points out the two moons in the sky. Hannah tells him the two moons are in a rare alignment for the entire month, and she explains that before the cataclysm, the Earth only had one moon. 
There is a noise in the woods, and the two aim their rifles as a large hornbill strides by. It takes no interest in the two, and then joins a large group of other hornbills at the lake. Hannah asks Jack to take the first watch. She has a bad headache and wants to get some sleep. Jack sits by the fire and realizes he doesn't feel well either. Jack can't stay awake, and before he knows it, he is dreaming. He is a fish swimming in the water. Giant creatures loom over him. They reach down into the water and snare him in a net. Hannah is also dreaming. She's walking along a beach with Jack, and then the two go swimming. But Jack suddenly turns into a grith who binds her in chains. In Jack's dream, he is still snared in a net, but he is now human again. The net is lifted from the water, and he sees a giant version of Hannah staring at him, who then drops him in a cauldron of boiling water. Then Jack and Hannah are having the same dream. They're trapped underwater and are unable to breathe. Both grasp at their throats. <coughs> Both wake coughing and gasping for air. A fine mist surrounds them. They rush to the Cadillac as a hornbill staggers and collapses to the ground in the distance. The Cadillac races away, but Jack and Hannah both pass out. The car continues erratically across the flats until it crashes into a rocky outcrop. On horseback, on his way to meet the road crew a day later, Mustafa finds Jack and Hannah. The two are still sick from the poisonous fumes from the lake, but slowly recovering. Hannah theorizes that the gravitational pull of the aligned moons disturbed a layer of poisonous gas trapped at the bottom of the volcanic lake, releasing it into the air. The two are very lucky to have survived. I love the two-page spread of Jack, Mustafa, and Dahlgren talking in the garage. Mark Schultz uses two images to bookend the sequence showing what is happening at the lake and foreshadowing what is ahead in the story. It's great to see Dahlgren again. Even though we don't see them often, Mark Schultz does a great job of giving each of the governors a unique personality and a unique relationship with Jack. It's nice to know that Dahlgren secretly keeps Jack informed of developments, and it's obvious the two have had a relationship in the past. Dahlgren isn't very happy about Jack's developing feelings toward Hannah. It's also interesting that she arranged for Mustafa to give Jack something to do to get him out of the city for a while until the other governors calm down. I love the scenes of Jack and Hannah driving first along the wide-open salt flats and then through the forest to the lakes. The forest is rich with a wide variety of plants and trees, and if you look closely, you can spot the occasional frog or bat. The first lake is surrounded by tall, jagged rocks with a dormant volcano in the background, and then they weave along a narrow, curved road on the way to the second lake in the distance. The first lake is named Orenda, which is defined by the Iroquois as a mystical power that pervades all things. The details captured in the underwater sequences are great, I love getting a glimpse of the creatures in the lake. There's lots of great imagery in the dream sequences, and we get some insight into the feelings and fears that Jack and Hannah have toward each other and the Grith. Jack is a small fish in a large sea, snared in a net by Hannah who drops him in some hot water. Meanwhile, Hannah has romantic feelings toward Jack, but is concerned about being weighed down by the demands of the Grith. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. 
The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Foul Weather, written by Mark Schultz, illustrated by Steve Stiles. Our story opens at night, at a darkened and seemingly abandoned lighthouse. A storm rages all around, and waves crash against the rocks of the small island where the lighthouse is located. The city and the sea can be seen far in the distance, but the lighthouse isn't abandoned. A woman watches from a window as a small boat slowly makes its way through the storm toward the island. The woman is Mikla von Ehrman, and this abandoned lighthouse that is slowly sinking into the sea is often used for a rendezvous for pirates and thieves. She races down the stairs and out into the heavy rain and meets Vice Terhun at the dock, but the others aren't with him. He tells her that they were able to break into the city's treasury, but Clegg tripped an alarm and guards got him and Sly. He was barely able to make it to the boat with a strong box. He hasn't had time to look in it yet, but he's sure it is valuable since it was hidden in the treasury vaults. He can't stay. Jack Tenrick is on his trail, and he has to keep moving. He'll come back for her once he has lost Jack. He then gets in the boat and heads back out into the raging sea. But what neither he nor Mikla noticed was that Jack Tenrick had followed him. While the two of them talked, Jack recovered the strong box from the boat and hid in the shadows. Jack stumbles and bumps a large wooden crate. Mikla pulls out her gun and gets the drop on him. Mikla forces Jack inside and tells him to open the strongbox, but before he can, a large wave crashes against the lighthouse, shattering the window. Water rushes inside, knocking them both to the floor. Jack helps Mikla to her feet, but just then, Vice Terhun appears at the top of the stairs. The storm forced him back to the dock, and he now finds Jack and Mikla together with the strongbox. He believes he's been tricked by them both. He pulls out his gun and aims at Mikla, but Jack leaps toward him, knocking the gun away. Just then, another powerful wave crashes into the lighthouse and washes all of them out of the window. The sun dawns on a clear sky the next morning. Vice Terhun is nowhere to be seen, but Jack, Mikla, and the strongbox are laying on the beach. As the two wake, Mikla rushes and opens the strong box and finds it is filled with small rectangular pieces of green paper. Jack laughs and tells her the ancients obviously had a weird sense of humor to lock little pieces of paper in a vault. Jack walks away, leaving Mikla sobbing as the paper bills blow away in the wind. This is the type of fun little backup story that adds lots of variety to the world of Xenozoic Tales. I love the opening panel as the waves crash against the lighthouse. You can see that it is leaning precariously, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. The night sky is dramatic, and the silhouette of the city in the background creates a great mood. The storm and huge waves are scary, and the lettering of the title adds a nice effect. I like the way Jack keeps running into various members of the Terhoon family from time to time, and it's funny when Vice Terhoon comments that Jack has wiped out half of his family. Having the strong box be filled with paper money is a great twist. It is filled with $5,000 bills, so it would be a fortune to any of us, but has no value at all in the world of Xenozoic Tales. 
The expressions on Mikla's face as she sees the worthless contents are priceless. Daddy, has Hulk always been green? Well, no. Daddy, has Spider-Man ever been married? Well, that's quite complicated. Daddy, did Superman have a mullet? What? No, there's no Daddy, does Howard the Duck use foil language? Okay, stop. I must have done something wrong with your education somewhere along the line, but it's time to rectify that. You mean... Don't say it! You're doing another podcast? Oh no. Podcast? Yes. Mark's Mess Podcast. An ongoing podcast to introduce and inform my children about the world of comics, science fiction and general geekery. Join me each month along with my eldest daughter, Charlotte. Where's my fiver? And my youngest, Catherine. Me! As we explore all this together. Find us at marksmesspodcast.blogspot.co.uk On Facebook at marksmesspodcast and on Twitter at Mark's Mess Podcasts without the T. A new podcast. On a new feed. Same old Mark. <sighs> Let's talk a bit about who's who and what's what in Xenozoic Tales. This is the 26th century, long after a series of geological cataclysms. What is known as the city in the sea in these stories is the island of Manhattan that is now partially submerged in the ocean. The city of Wasoon is what we know as Washington, D.C. Jack Tenrick is an old blood mechanic, one of the few people who have learned how to repair the many machines left over from the distant past. He is also a bit of a shaman. While he can be gruff at times, he is more respected by residents than the governors who run the city. Hannah Dundee is a scientist and ambassador from Wasoon who has come to the city in the sea in the hopes of building cooperation between the two cities. Mustafa Cairo is an engineer and one of Jack's best friends. His services are obviously needed everywhere, as we've seen him fixing machinery at distant mines, in the city, and in the lake region. The Grith are mysterious humanoid reptiles and are allies of both Jack and Hannah, who are two of the very few people who have ever seen the Grith. The Grith communicate telepathically with each other and talk to Jack using the letter tiles from an old Scrabble board game. The Governing Council rules the city in the sea and consists of several members, including Governors Nock and Dahlgren. Some members seem to respect Jack, while others resent that he is more popular with the people than they are. Next up is listener feedback, when we share the emails and messages we've received since last time. Thanks to everyone for the comments. Your support and encouragement is great, and we sincerely appreciate everyone who took the time to get in touch to share your thoughts. Since we didn't include feedback on the interview episode last time, we have feedback to share from the last two episodes— So let's start with feedback from Episode 7. Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network honored us with a nomination for Xenozoic Xenophiles for Best New Podcast of 2016 on his Eyes and Ears blog. He listens to a large number of podcasts, so we always enjoy seeing his nominations for Best Podcast at the start of the new year. Professor Allen and his daughter Emily produced several great podcasts that deserve recognition, including the Short Box Showcase, Dorkness to Light, and the Quarterbin Podcast. If you aren't listening to them, we highly recommend you try them. Professor Allen's winner for Best New Podcast of 2016 was Mark's Mess Podcast. I always enjoy walking through the geek alphabet as guided by Mark and his two clever daughters. Their episodes are witty and informative. So big congratulations to Mark, Charlotte, and Catherine. We'll include a link to Professor Allen's blog so you can check out all of the 2016 podcast awards. You just may discover a new show to try while you're there. When Xenozoic Xenophiles Episode 7 arrived, Vic Sage of the Retroist said, 
I know I tend to say this, but it's the truth. Day totally got better. Brian Mulvey wrote, Episode 7 was terrific. Mark Schultz's art was beautiful, and Darren pointed out the remarkable facial expressions he puts on characters in this story. I was reminded of Hal Foster's wonderful expressions he was able to convey on Prince Valiant. And Brian included a few examples of character expressions by Hal Foster on Prince Valiant. Those were great to see, and a nice tie-in since Mark Schultz writes the Prince Valiant comic strip. French comic artist Eric Herringall of the Con Crew called Xenozoic the best amazing comics in the universe, and added, In Cadillacs and Dinosaurs We Trust. Very fun. We received a terrific email from Mark Schultz himself, who let us know that he appreciates the comments and shout-outs we give to the many Xenozoic Tales fans on our show, like the one for Danny Newman, and Mark Schultz commented on the exciting things that Danny does with his camera work. Joe Crawford of the blog for the non-discerning reader said, I really enjoyed this one. I like the dynamic with Jack and Hannah. They're allowed to have an adult relationship. That's an attraction, but that doesn't mean that they have to agree on things. In fact, it seems they never do. Dan Dans shared a comment about Jack and Hannah, saying the beauty of this story is as readers, we don't get what we want from the characters. We want Jack and Hannah to have a romantic relationship so badly, but it doesn't have to be that way. Hannah is too strong to be overshadowed by Jack. Dan also shared a post by Chad Hendel playing a song that he created called Xenozoic Blues. You can find it on our Xenozoic Xenophiles Facebook page, and we'll include a link in the show notes. And now for comments about the Mark Schultz interview in Episode 8. Karen of the Between the Pages blog wrote, Great interview. John Wayne is my favorite actor, so I thought that it was neat that Hatari was one of Mark's inspirations for Xenozoic Tales. Paul Hicks of the podcast Waiting for Doom said, Fascinating interview with Mark Schultz and expertly conducted. Class acts all around. Thanks, Paul. Vic Sage of the Retroist thanked us for the interview, calling it astounding, and he said he was happy we mentioned the Storms at Sea connection. Lewis Norton called it a great interview. He continued, I'm a huge fan, and Storms at Sea blew me away. It pretty much touched upon every conspiracy theory out there, and then some. Mountain Flower Laurel wrote, Nice interview. I listened twice to catch all the details. We'll keep an eye out for Xenozoic Tales comics for sure. Mark Sweeney of I'm the Gun said, Great job with the Mark Schultz interview. You and Ruth definitely took advantage of a wonderful opportunity. The conversation flowed quite easily, and Mark came across as genuinely appreciative of your efforts. It was really a fun listen. Brian Mulvey wrote, I just listened to your amazing interview. You both seemed very excited to interview this comics giant. It was fascinating to hear that he was a security guard early on. I can't wait to see his new material with Jack and Hannah. You two are getting really good at this interview business, always posing interesting questions and keeping the pace going forward. Next time, I'd like to hear him discuss his writing on the Prince Valiant strip and his collaboration with Thomas Yates. You know I'm a huge fan of Prince Valiant. Jerry from Bat Books for Beginners let us know that we've convinced him to try yet another series, and he has started hunting for Xenozoic Tales. He enjoyed the interview episode and commented that our love of these books shines through. And Chris, who is also from Bat Books for Beginners and reviews Batman 66 on Stella's Batgirl to Oracle, said, I have to tell you that I've loved hearing Mark Schultz talk about Xenozoic Tales. What a great guy. It was such an enjoyable listen. And a big thank you to Chris for this terrific review he left on iTunes. Chris wrote, Another great Sutherland podcast. Darren and Ruth review and salute great comic book storytelling in an entertaining and informative style. Very enjoyable. Bless them and Mark Schultz. 20th Century Geek asked a very appropriate question, saying, After the success of Fury Road and Jurassic World, why do we not yet have a Cadillacs and Dinosaurs movie? 
then posed the question of who should be cast in such a fabulous film. We shared our thoughts, and Big Sage and Eric Mannix chimed in with their suggestions, too. We won't share their ideas here, because we decided we would like to give others a chance to send in their very own Dreamcast ideas for a Xenozoic Tales film. So send us your list, and we'll share them all on the next episode. Scott Connor made us aware of a Spanish-language book called Mark Schultz Out of the Past. It covers 20 years of his illustrations and comics from 1985 to 2005. Scott shared a link to a YouTube video that shares some sample pages. It looks great. When we posted the beautiful Mark Schultz cover for the new Dark Horse Pellucidar collection, Jim Fear said, You all are actively trying to drive me to bankruptcy now, aren't you? Sorry, Jim. We do know the feeling. Jeffrey Willis recently found the show and wrote to say, I'm listening to episode two. Great podcast so far. Thanks, Jeffrey. He let us know that he owns the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs Paper and Pencil RPG. And since we haven't played it, he let us know about the mechanics of the game. Then we learned that Jeffrey runs an amazing blog called Hollow World, Stories from Inside the Earth. It includes information about Skataris, Pellucidar, and other Hollow World settings. You can find it at pellucidarskataris.blogspot.com. We've really enjoyed exploring the site, and I hope others will check it out. We'll give the link in our show notes. Doug Zoesia of the Doom Patrol blog, My Greatest Adventure 80, discovered a Beasts of the Mesozoic action figure set and sent a snapshot, saying he knew we'd dig it. You know, using a little paleological pun there. And being a fan of Rocky and Bullwinkle, I do appreciate puns, Doug. John Chris Christensen posted a loving tribute for Miguel Ferreira on social media. He explained that Miguel Ferreira was one of the first to lend his support to the album Songs from the Xenozoic Age. He wrote, this dramatic reading was done with no music, no sound effects, nada, just Miguel. Everything else was added after the fact. He was such a good and talented friend. He included a link to the segment that he referenced on YouTube, and we'll include it in our show notes. Next, we want to extend our thanks to everyone who supported the show on social media since last episode. These are people who commented or shared posts from us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook. Your support helps draw attention to the podcast, and we sincerely appreciate all that each of you do. Before we start, let me say if we miss a name, just let us know and we'll correct that next time. And please forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just write and let us know, and we'll be sure to correct that next time, too. 20th Century Geek, Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary Blog, Ashford of Feathers and Foes and Straight Out of Gallifrey, BC Fan 101, Benison Curse, Brian Mulvey, Carlos Aviado, Chris of Bat Books for Beginners and Batman 66 on Batgirl to Oracle, Chris Mounts, Chris Sasaki, Christopher Mills of the Atomic Pulp Blog and writer for Perils on Planet X and Film Noir, Clinton Robinson of the Coffee and Comics Blog and Podcast, Coco Vigno, Comics in the Golden Age with Mike and Chris, Colin Stapleton from the Worst Comics Podcast Ever, Daniel Berrios, David Bagsby, DC in the 80s, Did You Hit the Record podcast, Doug Zoesia of the Doom Patrol blog My Greatest Adventure 80 and writer for Comicosity, Dr. G Manonardology of the Pulp to Pixel podcast, Ed and Terry Moore of Till Productions, Eric Herringall, creator of the comic Kong Crew, Eric Mannix of Out of the Fridge and Pages for All Ages, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes and Anime Freaks, Jerry of Bat Books for Beginners, Giovanni Luisi, Isaac Chance, Jeff Messer of the Geek Brain Popcast, Jeffrey Willis of the Hollow World Blog, Joe Crawford of the Blog for the Non-Discerning Reader, John Baker, Justice's First Dawn with Mike Peacock, Karen Williams of Between the Pages, Keith G. Baker, 
Kyle Benning of King Size Comics Giant Size Fun, Larry Looper Jr., a.k.a. Vic Sage and writer for The Retroist, Laurel Phillips, Lewis Norton, Mark Adams of Mark Smith's Podcast, Mark Sweeney from I'm the Gun Blog and Podcast, Matthew Ward, Michael Lane of Comics in the Golden Age, Molly Whipple, Nancy Najidli, Nicholas Prom of Comic Reflections, Noel Thingval from the Noel Network Blogs and Podcast, Paige Grow, Paul Hicks of the Waiting for Doom Podcast, Philip Tyndall, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Roddy Frey, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Daly of the Power of Fishnets and Midnight the Podcasting Hour, Scott Connor, Simon Barre, Brisbois, Talk Nerdy to Me, Tony Greenall, Tutu Freaks Podcast Network, Van Z of the All-Star Comics Review, Wayne Davies, and Wendy Freeman of the Podcast Double Page Spread. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. You can contact us directly at xenozoicxenophiles at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram under the name Xenozoic Xenophiles. And you can always visit xenozoicxenophiles.com for links to all of our social media pages. You can listen to the show through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or you can find the show at podbean.com. You can also find the show on YouTube as part of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network. I'm sure you get it. Ruth and Darren, Rad, R-A-D. We've had fun with that. On the Rad Adventures YouTube channel, you'll find all of the episodes of all of our podcasts, including Xenozoic Xenophiles, as well as Trekker Talk about 23rd Century Bounty Hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall, and Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Every review helps the podcast be more likely to show up in search results. And on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will come back next time for another new episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles. Xenozoic Xenophiles is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, please visit comicspodcasts.com. We are not affiliated with Mark Schultz or the various companies that have published the series. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album, Movie Tunes, Background Music, Songs and Loops, Volume 2. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. <laughs>